And the second reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 11. Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. May your word live in us. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you today. Did you all survive the storms? I heard this morning uh, from John Butterworth that uh, he still doesn't have power and probably won't get power back until tonight. So some of you are in that boat as well, I'm sure, yes. Yeah, we, and you as well, right. We lost it for five minutes. Sorry. That's, uh, I shouldn't have told you that. Well, today uh, we are beginning out the second half of our series. We're in week five, so this means we're on the downhill run. But, um, look, I still think we're going uphill with Philippians because there are still more challenges and they come today and uh, we're looking today at life's rubbish and life's treasures. Life's rubbish and life's treasures and what we actually put our faith in. What is our gospel call to faith? Uh, look, one of the, um, one of the uh, joys and privileges and hazards of being in a role such as I'm in is that you get to do people's funerals. And uh, every funeral is different and you hear all sorts of interesting things. 
and sometimes I think that the families seem to feel a real need to assure me that their loved one was actually a really good person. And so sometimes I hear things like this. Oh, he's a wonderful man, a true Christian. If he couldn't do a good turn, he wouldn't do a bad one. Or I might hear something like this. Well, he never really went to church. He actually didn't believe in God, but he was such a good Christian man. You see, people have got things around the wrong way, haven't they? They are thinking and believing something that actually doesn't do for them what they want it to do. Interesting credentials that you hear from some people. Now, let me go on another tack now. How many of you are a bit like me? And uh, I'm probably showing my age by this. But how many of you, a few decades ago, loved watching uh, the musicals on the TV on a Saturday afternoon? Do you remember that? No? Oh, some people do. Phew, good. A bit of um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, a bit of Bing. You know, I loved it. I loved it. Yes, it is. Oh, thanks. Going way back. Yeah, well, there you go. And, uh, okay, stop you talking now. Uh, and so because I, I've always loved that, I especially loved it when all three of our kids, as they went through school, uh, were very gifted and involved in all things drama. In fact, many of them have gone on and made it uh, their profession. Uh, and so they were involved in the musicals and different productions at the school. So I would love, I just loved uh, going and seeing them. Now, I think there's one musical, though, that is probably, I'm going to be bold and say it's everybody's favourite, and that's The Sound of Music. Would it? But no, Petrus is shaking his head. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Please don't tell Chris that I've told you this. I'm sure he'll never find out. But he gets a bit glassy-eyed with the sound of music. And uh, there are particular points uh, in that where I know, I know not to look at him because he'll just be crying. But the reason I'm telling you that is because um, when I read Philippians 3, uh, there's a scene from The Sound of Music that I think about, uh, and it's when Maria is heading off to the Von Trapp home for the first time and she sings, I have confidence in confidence alone. And it's as if uh, she's trying to convince herself that she has the faith to make this work. It's like... Uh, we can do it. I can do it. I have confidence, uh, and this is going to work because I have confidence in it, in whatever. I have confidence. That is, up until she sees the house and the grounds and how austere they look, and then the voice gets a bit croaky, a bit, bit, um, a bit waving, and she meekly finishes, I have confidence. So I think she actually doesn't. Another thing that I find uh, really uh, engaging, I guess you could say, which I've missed this year, is when the Olympics are on and uh, you see the athletics or the swimming, uh, I find it amazing that the competitors have so much confidence as they focus, ready to begin their event. They have faith in their ability. 
They have faith that their preparation has uh, done its job and that they're adequately prepared, and they certainly seem to have faith that they can win. Now, in this passage, this is where Paul is talking about what he has put his faith in for all his life, where his confidence was. And he's warning the Philippians about what they put their faith in. And he warns them about people particularly who want to add things to salvation. There were some people in Philippi called the Judaizers who were teaching that unless you became a Jew first, you couldn't be a true Christian, that that was the pathway. You became a Jew and then you could become a Christian. And of course, becoming a Jew for the men meant being circumcised. And so they were saying, well, you've got to be circumcised to be a Christian. Now, if anybody had reason to be confident in in that process of being a Jew and then becoming a Christian, it was Paul. And it was a bit like the introduction of the swimmers before the final. You know, when their past achievements are read out and they, they stand up at the podium, they raise their hands and They face the crowd like this as their achievements are being read out and the crowd is giving them adulation. Here's what we can say about Paul. From Israel, circumcised on the eighth day. Hooray, Paul, that's great. What an achievement. From the tribe of Benjamin, which reputedly was the best tribe, that was like the pick of the crop. Hooray. Both parents were Jewish. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. And we go, ah, purebred. Very good. Very good. A meticulous follower of the letter of the law. In fact, the word used there is faultless. Again, wow, let's give him adulation. He also says a sincere persecutor of the church. Now, as Christians, we might not go, hooray, Paul. But if you were a zealous first century Jew, you would. Yes, hooray, how amazing that is. Basically a life record that if Paul was standing here, you would go, fine specimen, fine specimen. This is the ultimate faithful Jew. That's what Paul is saying. Now from a Jewish perspective, if Paul was a swimmer, you'd just say, cancel the race, give him the gold. But what does he say? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss, rubbish for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And the Greek word for garbage here was also the word used for dung or excrement, or any other word uh, that you may want to have in your head right now that would explain that. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of how Paul considered these things now. They are rubbish. In Paul, we have a great example of someone who, if we were to look at things from an earthly perspective should have confidence in confidence before God, but no. You see, Paul came to the conclusion that all of that stuff is actually 
bad news. Trying to live according to the law to obtain salvation is futile. It's absolute rubbish, he's saying. And verse 7 for Paul represents a spiritual revolution. You see it in the word but. It's a little word, but it's a dramatic word. And he goes on to describe his about turn with two metaphors. And the first one is a metaphor that we would understand from accounting. Now, what was once profit is now loss. What was once an asset is now a liability. There's a new reality here. The books are turned. The books are turned. He's discovered that the righteousness he had worked at so hard to build through obedience to the law, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, now that's of no gain to him at all. It is instead total loss. Total loss. What was life's treasure has become life's garbage. And for us, having confidence in our own efforts to please God is absolute rubbish. It's rot. And the second metaphor he uses is one of coming home, of finding relationship. And he tells us that in the the words in verse 9 where he says, I want to be found in him. That's the message, that's the the language of relationship, of being at home. Jesus is now more than something to be understood or accepted or gained. Jesus is someone who can be his home. A place where Paul knows that he will find his true identity and purpose. It is in Christ alone that he discovers the righteousness he had earlier tried to find in himself and his achievements. What he once regarded as rubbish to be persecuted, discarded, gotten rid of, is now his treasure. That's where his faith truly is. He wants to know Christ as he truly was in his suffering, his death and in his resurrection. You see, in that world, those who were crucified were the rubbish of society. That's why the place of crucifixion was outside the wall of the city. Because you don't do that sort of thing inside the walls. You've got to do rubbish outside. You put rubbish where rubbish needs to go. He wants to know Christ in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection. Paul is now saying he wants to identify with that because he knows that it's the only way to resurrection. Not achievements, it comes through suffering. And my friends, we need to see things from a heavenly perspective, don't we? From the eyes of God, not from an earthly perspective. Now, under the old system, uh, the old covenant, the Old Testament, there was some purpose in Paul being confident in obeying the law. But even under the old covenant, obedience needed to flow out of a relationship with God. It wasn't just a standalone thing. You obeyed the law because of relationship with God. But when you compare it to the true righteousness that comes from God alone through Jesus, obedience to the law was as dung. In Jesus we find the new treasure. It's new life. 
It's a gift of grace. And grace with add-ons, like circumcision, becoming a Jew before you could be a proper Christian, which the Judaizers were teaching, that is not grace at all. Our salvation is the free gift of God given to us through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, to, to say this again is no trouble. I will say it again and again and again. I'll rejoice in it. It's no trouble for me to declare that again. It's through Jesus. And I'll tell you again. It's through Jesus. In fact, he says that people who put add-ons to Jesus, add-ons to grace, should be treated with suspicion. In fact, he says they should be avoided like wild dogs. Now, they wouldn't have understood it back then, but wild dogs give you rabies. They would have known that if you got bitten by a dog, um, probably not good. You'd probably get very sick, maybe die, probably die. When uh, Chris and I went to Nepal in 2014, that was one of the injections we had to have was the rabies injection, which wasn't fun at all, and it's expensive. And when we got there, we realised why, because there's rabid dogs everywhere. <laughs> Stay away from them, we were told. Oh, okay, let me think about that. <laughs> and Paul is saying, stay away from people who add on to grace like you would stay away from a wild dog. We need to be very wise about who we listen to. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. See, Paul's life before he found Christ fades into insignificance in the light of this amazing good news of grace. His sinful life has been forgiven. The self-effort to make himself right with God he now sees as useless. And he says the same thing in other letters. Can you think of some? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He knows his true place. There is no doubt that the old Paul, Saul, was sincere in that life. He was a Pharisee and a very good one, second to none. And especially in terms of persecuting Christians, we know, and he came to know, that being sincere made no difference because he was sincerely wrong. Being right with God is not based on our sincerity. It is the object of our faith that sets us right with God. That is faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross and responding to that as the best good news we've ever heard. Responding in such a way that life's treasures become rubbish and what we once treated as rubbish becomes our treasure. Do you remember how Paul expressed that same truth in 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, we exchange our treasures and our rubbish and put them in the right place. And as Paul made the personal acknowledgement that Jesus Christ was his Lord, that was what made the difference. He has placed his faith in the right treasure, not in what is rubbish. 
And in giving us this description of rubbish and treasure, of loss and gain, of what is worthless and what is worthy, do you see what Paul is doing here? I said at the beginning of this series that most weeks I'd take us back to the great hymn of Christ in chapter 2. I'm going to do it again. Because what we see Paul doing here is inserting himself into the hymn of Christ. He wants to know Jesus that much. You remember that in the great hymn of Christ, Jesus is described as how he left the glory of heaven and came to earth, willingly left that treasure to become as nothing and to die even a death on a cross. Jesus exchanged treasure for rubbish so that rubbish can become treasure. And God then exalted him to the highest place. And when we are found in Christ, we know that we too will have that resurrection. Paul is showing us that his ambition changed so that he has the same ambition as Christ. All the great things I had are nothing. Humility sees the real treasure and takes hold of it. My friends, are you seeing it from a heavenly perspective? Paul said, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Can you and I say that and mean it? Is the good news so good to us that we say everything else is garbage? The gospel call of my faith is Jesus Christ and him alone. I want to know Christ. Amen.